Section 3 of Pascendi Dominici Gregis On the Errors of the Modernists by Pope St. Pius X Translated by Thomas E. Judge This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Encyclical Continued Part 2 The Cause of Modernism To penetrate still deeper into modernism, and to find a suitable remedy for such a deep sore, it behooves us, venerable brethren, to investigate the causes which have engendered it and which foster its growth, that the proximate and immediate cause consists in a perversion of the mind cannot be open to doubt. The remote causes seem to us to be reduced to two, curiosity and pride. Curiosity by itself, if not prudently regulated, suffices to explain all errors. Such is the opinion of our predecessor, Gregory the Sixteenth, who wrote, A lamentable spectacle is that presented by the aberrations of human reason when it yields to the spirit of novelty, when, against the warning of the apostle, it seeks to know beyond what it is meant to know, when, relying too much on itself, it thinks it can find the truth outside the church, wherein truth is found without the slightest shadow of error. Encyclical Singulari Nos, July 1834 But it is pride which exercises an incomparably greater sway over the soul to bind it and plunge into error, and pride sits in modernism as in its own house, finding sustenance everywhere in its doctrines and an occasion to flaunt itself in all its aspects. It is pride which fills modernists with that confidence in themselves, and leads them to hold themselves up as the rule for all, pride which puffs them up with that vain glory which allows them to regard themselves as the sole possessors of knowledge, and makes them say, inflated with presumption, we are not as the rest of men, and which, to make them really not as other men, leads them to embrace all kinds of the most absurd novelties. It is pride which rouses in them the spirit of disobedience and causes them to demand a compromise between authority and liberty. It is pride that makes of them the reformers of others, while they forget to reform themselves, and which begets their absolute want of respect for authority, not accepting the supreme authority. No, truly, there is no road which leads so directly and so quickly to modernism as pride. When a Catholic layman or a priest forgets that precept of the Christian life, which obliges us to renounce ourselves if we would follow Jesus Christ, and neglects to tear pride from his heart, ah, but he is a fully ripe subject for the errors of modernism. Hence, venerable brethren, it will be your first duty to thwart such proud men, to employ them only in the lowest and obscurest offices. The higher they try to rise, the lower let them be placed, so that their lowly position may deprive them of the power of causing damage. Sound your young clerics, too, most carefully, by yourselves and by the directors of your seminaries, and when you find the spirit of pride among any of them, reject them without compunction from the priesthood. Would to God that this had always been done 
with the proper vigilance and constancy. If we pass from the moral to the intellectual causes of modernism, the first which presents itself, and the chief one, is ignorance. Yes, these very modernists, who pose as doctors of the church, who puff out their cheeks when they speak of modern philosophy, and show such contempt for scholasticism, have embraced the one with all its false glamour, because their ignorance of the other has left them without the means of being able to recognise confusion of thought, and to refute sophistry. Their whole system, with all its errors, has been born of the alliance between faith and false philosophy. Methods of Propagandism If only they had displayed less zeal and energy in propagating it. But such is their activity, and such their unwearying capacity for work, on behalf of their cause, that one cannot but be pained to see them waste such labour in endeavouring to ruin the church, when they might have been of such service to her, had their efforts been better employed. Their artifices, to delude men's minds, are of two kinds, the first to remove obstacles from their path, the second to devise, and apply actively and patiently, every instrument that can serve their purpose. They recognise that the three chief difficulties for them are scholastic philosophy, the authority of the fathers and tradition, and the magisterium of the church, and on these they wage unrelenting war. For scholastic philosophy and theology they have only ridicule and contempt. Whether it is ignorance, or fear, or both, that inspires this conduct in them, certain it is that the passion for novelty is always united in them with hatred of scholasticism, and there is no surer sign that a man is on his way to modernism than when he begins to show his dislike for this system. Modernists and their admirers should remember the proposition condemned by Pius the Ninth: The method and principles which have served the doctors of scholasticism when treating of theology no longer correspond with the exigencies of our time or the progress of science. Syllabus of Errors, Proposition 13. They exercise all their ingenuity in diminishing the force and falsifying the character of tradition, so as to rob it of all its weight. But for Catholics, the Second Council of Nicaea will always have the force of law, where it condemns those who dare, after the impious fashion of heretics, to deride the ecclesiastical traditions to invent novelties of some kind, or endeavour, by malice or craft, to overthrow any one of the legitimate traditions of the Catholic Church. And Catholics will hold for law, also, the profession of the Fourth Council of Constantinople. We, therefore, profess to conserve and guard the rules bequeathed to the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church by the Holy and Most Illustrious Apostles, by the Orthodox Councils, both general and local, and by every one of those divine interpreters, the fathers and doctors of the Church. Wherefore the Roman pontiffs, Pius the Fourth and Pius the Ninth, order the insertion in the profession of faith of the following declaration. I most firmly admit and embrace the apostolic and ecclesiastical traditions and other observances and constitutions of the Church. The modernists pass the same judgment on the most holy fathers of the church as they pass on tradition, decreeing, with amazing effrontery, that 
while personally most worthy of all veneration they were entirely ignorant of history and criticism for which they are only excusable on account of the time in which they lived finally the modernists try in every way to diminish and weaken the authority of the ecclesiastical magisterium itself by sacrilegiously falsifying its origin character and rights and by freely repeating the calumnies of all its adversaries to all the band of modernists may be applied those words which our predecessor wrote with such pain to bring contempt and odium on the mystic spouse of christ who is the true light the children of darkness have been wont to cast in her face before the world a stupid calumny and perverting the meaning and force of things and words to depict her as the friend of darkness and ignorance and the enemy of light science and progress motu proprio ut mysticum fourteenth of march eighteen ninety one this being so venerable brethren no wonder that the modernists vent all their gall and hatred on catholics who sturdily fight the battles of the church but of all the insults they heap on them those of ignorance and obstinacy are the favourites when an adversary rises up against them with an erudition and force that render him redoubtable they try to make a conspiracy of silence around him to nullify the effects of his attack while in flagrant contrast with this policy towards catholics they load with constant praise the writers who range themselves on their side hailing their works exuding novelty in every page with choruses of applause for them the scholarship of a writer is in direct proportion to the recklessness of his attacks on antiquity and of his efforts to undermine tradition and the ecclesiastical magisterium when one of their number falls under the condemnations of the church the rest of them to the horror of good catholics gather round him heap public praise upon him venerate him almost as a martyr to truth the young excited and confused by all this clamour of praise and abuse some of them afraid of being branded as ignorant others ambitious to be considered learned and both classes goaded internally by curiosity and pride often surrender and give themselves up to modernism and here we have already some of the artifices employed by modernists to exploit their wares what efforts they make to win new recruits they seize upon chairs in the seminaries and universities and gradually make of them chairs of pestilence from these sacred chairs they scatter though not always openly the seeds of their doctrines they proclaim their teachings without disguise in congresses they introduce them and make them the vogue in social institutions under their own names and under pseudonyms they publish numbers of books newspapers reviews and sometimes one and the same writer adopts a variety of pseudonyms to trap the incautious reader into believing in a whole multitude of modernist writers in short they leave nothing untried in action discourses writings as though there were a frenzy of propaganda upon them and the results of all this we have to lament at the sight of many young men once full of promise and capable of rendering great services to the church now gone astray and there is another sight 
that saddens us too. That of so many other Catholics who, while they certainly do not go so far as the former, have yet grown into the habit, as though they had been breathing a poisoned atmosphere, of thinking and speaking and writing with a liberty that ill becomes Catholics. They are to be found among the laity and in the ranks of the clergy, and they are not wanting even in the last place where one might expect to meet them, in religious institutes. If they treat of biblical questions, it is upon modernist principles. If they write history, it is to search out, with curiosity, and to publish openly, on the pretext of telling the whole truth, and with a species of ill-concealed satisfaction, everything that looks to them like a stain in the history of the church. Under the sway of certain a priori rules, they destroy, as far as they can, the pious traditions of the people, and bring ridicule on certain relics highly venerable from their antiquity. They are possessed by the empty desire of being talked about, and they know that they would never succeed in this were they to say only what has been always said. It may be that they have persuaded themselves that in all this they are really serving God and the Church. In reality, they only offend both, less perhaps by their works themselves than by the spirit in which they write and by the encouragement they are giving to the extravagances of the modernists. Part 3. Remedies Against this host of grave errors and its secret and open advance, our predecessor, Leo Thirteenth, of happy memory, worked strenuously, especially as regards the Bible, both in his words and his acts. But, as we have seen, the modernists are not easily deterred by such weapons. With an affectation of submission and respect, they proceeded to twist the words of the pontiff to their own sense, and his acts they described as directed against others than themselves. And the evil has gone on, increasing from day to day. We, therefore, venerable brethren, have determined to adopt at once the most efficacious measures in our power, and we beg and conjure you to see to it that in this most grave matter nobody will ever be able to say that you have been in the slightest degree wanting in vigilance, zeal, or firmness. And what we ask of you, and expect of you, we ask, and expect also, of all other pastors of souls, of all educators and professors of clerks, and, in a very special way, of the superiors of religious institutions. 1. The Study of Scholastic Philosophy In the first place, with regard to studies, we will and ordain that scholastic philosophy be made the basis of the sacred sciences. It goes without saying that if anything is met with among the scholastic doctors, which may be regarded as an excess of subtlety, or which is altogether destitute of probability, we have no desire whatever to propose it for the imitation of present generations. Leo Thirteenth, Encyclical Eterni Patris And let it be clearly understood, above all things, that the scholastic philosophy we prescribe is that which the angelic doctor has bequeathed to us, and we, therefore, declare that all the ordinances of our predecessor on this subject continue fully in force, 
and as far as may be necessary. We do decree anew and confirm and ordain that they be by all strictly observed. In seminaries where they may have been neglected, let the bishops impose them and require their observance. And let this apply also to the superiors of religious institutions. Further, let professors remember that they cannot set St. Thomas aside, especially in metaphysical question, without grave detriment. On this philosophical foundation, the theological edifice is to be solidly raised. Promote the study of theology, venerable brethren, by all means in your power, so that your clerics, on leaving the seminaries, may admire and love it, and always find their delight in it. For in the vast and varied abundance of studies opening before the mind desirous of truth, everybody knows how the old maxim describes theology as so far in front of all others that every science and art should serve it and be to it as handmaidens. Lear the Thirteenth, Apostolic Letter, In Manya, December the Tenth, 1889. We will add that we deem worthy of praise those who with full respect for tradition, the Holy Fathers, and the ecclesiastical magisterium, undertake, with well-balanced judgment, and guided by Catholic principles, which is not always the case, seek to illustrate positive theology by throwing the light of true history upon it. Certainly more attention must be paid to positive theology than in the past, but this must be done without detriment to scholastic theology, and those are to be disapproved of as modernist tendencies who seek to exalt positive theology in such a way as to seem to despise the scholastic. With regard to profane studies, suffice it to recall here what our predecessor has admirably said. Apply yourselves energetically to the study of natural sciences. The brilliant discoveries and the bold and useful applications of them made in our times, which have won such applause by our contemporaries, will be an object of perpetual praise for those that come after us. Leo Thirteenth, Allocution, March the 7th, 1880. But this do, without interfering with sacred studies, as our predecessor, in these most grave words, prescribed. If you carefully search for the cause of those errors, you will find that it lies in the fact that in these days, when the natural sciences absorb so much study, the more severe and lofty studies have been proportionately neglected. Some of them have almost passed into oblivion. Some of them are pursued in a half-hearted or superficial way, and, sad to say, now that they are fallen from their old estate, they have been disfigured by perverse doctrines and monstrous errors. We ordain, therefore, that the study of natural science in the seminaries be carried on under this law. 2. Practical Application All these prescriptions, and those of our predecessor, are to be borne in mind whenever there is question of choosing directors and professors for seminaries and Catholic universities. Anybody who, in any way, is found to be imbued with modernism is to be excluded without compunction from these offices, and those who already occupy them are to be withdrawn. The same policy is to be adopted towards those who favour modernism, 
either by extolling the modernists or excusing their culpable conduct, by criticising scholasticism, the fathers, or by refusing obedience to ecclesiastical authority in any of its depositories, and towards those who show a love of novelty in history, archaeology, biblical exegesis, and, finally, towards those who neglect the sacred sciences or appear to prefer to them the profane. In all this question of studies, venerable brethren, you cannot be too watchful or too constant, but, most of all, in the choice of professors, for, as a rule, the students are modelled after the pattern of their masters. Strong in the consciousness of your duty, act always prudently, but vigorously. Equal diligence and severity are to be used in examining and selecting candidates for holy orders. Far, far from the clergy be the love of novelty. God hates the proud and the obstinate. For the future, the doctrine of theology and canon law must never be conferred on anybody who has not made the regular course of scholastic philosophy. If conferred, it shall be held as null and void. The rules laid down in 1896 by the Sacred Congregation of Bishops and Regulars for the Clerics, both secular and regular, of Italy, concerning the frequenting of the universities, we now decree to be extended to all nations. Clerics and priests inscribed in the Catholic Institute or University must not, in the future, follow in civil universities those courses for which there are chairs in the Catholic institutes to which they belong. If this has been permitted anywhere in the past, we ordain that it be not allowed for the future. Let the bishops who form the governing board of such Catholic institutes or universities watch with all care that these, our commands, be constantly observed. 3. Episcopal Vigilance Over Publications it is also the duty of the bishops to prevent writings infected with modernism, or favourable to it, from being read when they have been published, and to hinder their publication when they have not. No book or paper or periodical of this kind must ever be permitted to seminarists or university students. The injury to them would be equal to that caused by immoral reading. Nay, it would be greater for such writings poison Christian life at its very fount. The same decision is to be taken concerning the writings of some Catholics, who, though not badly disposed themselves, but ill-instructed in theological studies, and imbued with modern philosophy, strive to make this harmonise with the faith, and, as they say, to turn it to the account of the faith. The name and reputation of these authors cause them to be read without suspicion, and they are, therefore, all the more dangerous in preparing the way of modernism. To give you some more general directions, venerable brethren, in a matter of such moment, we bid you do everything in your power to drive out of your diocese, even by solemn interdict, any pernicious books that may be in circulation there. The Holy See neglects no means to put down writings of this kind, but the number of them has now grown to such an extent that it is impossible to censure them all. Hence it happens that the medicine sometimes arrives too late, for the disease has taken root during the delay. 
We will, therefore, that the bishops, putting aside all fear and the prudence of the flesh, despising the outcries of the wicked, gently by all means, but constantly, do each his own share of this work, remembering the injunctions of Leo the Thirteenth in the Apostolic Constitution Officiorum. Let the ordinaries, acting in this also as delegates of the Apostolic See, exert themselves to prescribe and put out of reach of the faithful, injurious books or other writings, printed or circulated in their dioceses. In this passage the bishops, it is true, receive a right, but they have also a duty imposed on them. Let no bishop think that he fulfils this duty by denouncing to us one or two books, while a great many others of the same kind are being published and circulated. Nor are you to be deterred by the fact that a book has obtained the imprimatur elsewhere, because both this may be merely stimulated, and because it may have been granted through carelessness or easiness or excessive confidence in the author, as may sometimes happen in religious orders. Besides, just as the same food does not agree equally with everybody, it may happen that a book, harmless in one place, may, on account of the different circumstances, be hurtful in another. Should a bishop, therefore, after having taken the advice of prudent persons, deem it right to condemn any of such books in his diocese, we not only give him ample faculty to do so, but we impose it upon him as a duty to do so. Of course it is our wish that in such action proper regard be used, and sometimes it will suffice to restrict the prohibition to the clergy, but even in such cases it will be obligatory on Catholic booksellers not to put on sale books condemned by the bishop. And while we are on this subject of booksellers, we wish the bishops to see to it that they do not, through desire for gain, put on sale unsound books. It is certain that in the catalogues of some of them, the books of the modernists are not unfrequently announced with no small praise. If they refuse obedience, let the bishops have no hesitation in depriving them of the title of Catholic booksellers. So, too, and with more reason, if they have the title of Episcopal booksellers, and if they have that of Pontifical, let them be denounced to the Apostolic See. Finally, we remind all of the 26th article of the above-mentioned Constitution Officiorum. All those who have obtained an apostolic faculty to read and keep forbidden books are not thereby authorised to read books and periodicals forbidden by the local ordinaries, unless the apostolic faculty expressly concedes permission to read and keep books condemned by anybody. 4. Censorship But it is not enough to hinder the reading and sale of bad books. It is also necessary to prevent them from being printed. Hence let the bishops use the utmost severity in granting permission to print. Under the rules of the Constitution Officiorum, many publications require the authorization of the ordinary, and in some dioceses it has been made the custom to have a suitable number of official censors for the examination of writings. We have the highest praise for this institution, and we not only exhort, but we order that it be extended to all dioceses. In all Episcopal curias, therefore, let censors be appointed 
for the revision of works intended for publication, and let the censors be chosen from both ranks of the clergy, secular and regular, men of age, knowledge and prudence, who will know how to follow the golden mean in their judgments. It shall be their office to examine everything which requires permission for publication, according to Articles 41 and 42 of the above-mentioned Constitution. The censor shall give his verdict in writing. If it be favourable, the bishop will give the permission for publication by the word imprimatur, which must always be preceded by the nihil obstat and the name of the censor. In the Curia of Rome, official censors shall be appointed just as elsewhere, and the appointment of them shall appertain to the master of the sacred palaces, after they have been proposed to the cardinal vicar and accepted by the sovereign pontiff. It will also be the office of the master of the sacred palaces to select the censor for each writing. Permission for publication will be granted by him, as well as by the cardinal vicar, or his vice-regent, and this permission, as above prescribed, must always be preceded by the nihil obstat and the name of the censor. Only on very rare and exceptional occasions, and on the prudent decision of the bishop, shall it be possible to omit mention of the censor. The name of the censor shall never be made known to the authors until he shall have given a favourable decision, so that he may not have to suffer annoyance either while he is engaged in examination of a writing, or in case he should deny his approval. Censors shall never be chosen from the religious orders unless the opinion of the principal, or in Rome, of the general, has been privately obtained, and the provincial, or the general, must give a conscientious account of the character, knowledge, and orthodoxy of the candidate. We admonish religious superiors their solemn duty never to allow anything to be published by any of their subjects without permission from themselves and from the ordinary. Finally, we affirm and declare that the title of censor has no value and can never be adduced to give credit to the private opinions of the person who holds it. Priests as Editors Having said this much in general, we now ordain in particular a more careful observance of Article 42 of the above-mentioned Constitution Officiorum. It is forbidden to secular priests, without the previous consent of the ordinary, to undertake the direction of papers or periodicals. This permission shall be withdrawn from any priest who makes a wrong use of it, after having been admonished. With regard to priests, who are correspondents, or collaborators of periodicals, as it happens not infrequently that they write matter infected with modernism for their papers or periodicals, let the bishops see to it that this is not permitted to happen, and, should it happen, let them warn the writers or prevent them from writing. The superiors of religious orders, too, we admonish with all authority to do the same, and should they fail in this duty, let the bishops make due provision with authority delegated by the supreme pontiff. Let there be, as far as this is possible, a special censor for newspapers and periodicals written by Catholics. It shall be his office to read, in due time, each number after it has been published, and if he find anything dangerous in it, let him order that it be corrected. 
the bishop shall have the same right even when the censor has seen nothing objectionable in a publication. 5. Congresses We have already mentioned congresses and public gatherings as among the means used by the modernists to propagate and defend their opinions. In the future, bishops shall not permit congresses of priests except on very rare occasions. When they do permit them, it shall only be on condition that matters appertaining to the bishops or the apostolic see be not treated in them, and that no motions or postulates be allowed that would imply a usurpation of sacred authority, and that no mention be made in them of modernism, Presbyterianism, or laicism. A congresses of this kind, which can only be held after permission in writing has been obtained in due time and for each case, it shall not be lawful for priests of other dioceses to take part without the written permission of their ordinary. Further, no priest must lose sight of the solemn recommendation of Leo the Thirteenth. Let priests hold as sacred the authority of their bishops. Let them take it for certain that the sacerdotal ministry, if not exercised under the guidance of the bishops, can never be either holy, or very fruitful, or respectable. Encyclical Letter Nobilissima Galorum, 10th of February, 1884. 6. Diocesan Watch Committees But of what avail, venerable brethren, will be all our commands and prescriptions if they be not dutifully and firmly carried out? And in order that this may be done, it has seemed expedient to us to extend to all dioceses the regulations laid down with great wisdom many years ago by the bishops of Umbria for theirs. In order, they say, to extirpate the errors already propagated and to prevent their further diffusion, and to remove those teachers of impiety through whom the pernicious effects of such diffusion are being perpetuated, this sacred assembly, following the example of St. Charles Borromeo, has decided to establish in each of the dioceses a council, consisting of approved members of both branches of the clergy, which shall be charged with the task of noting the existence of errors and the devices by which new ones are introduced and propagated, and to inform the bishop of the whole, so that he may take counsel with them as to the best means of nipping the evil in the bud and preventing its spreading for the ruination of souls, or, worse still, gaining strength and growth. Acts of the Congress of the Bishops of Umbria, November 1849, Title II, Article VI. We decree, therefore, that in every diocese, a council of this kind, which we are pleased to name the Council of Vigilance, be instituted without delay. The priests, called to form part in it, shall be chosen somewhat after the manner above prescribed for the censors, and they shall meet every two months on an appointed day under the presidency of the bishop. They shall be bound to secrecy as to their deliberations and decisions, and their function shall be as follows. They shall watch most carefully for every trace and sign of modernism, both in publications and in teaching, and to preserve from it the clergy and the young, they shall take all prudent, prompt, and efficacious measures. Let them combat novelties of words, remembering the admonitions of Leo the Thirteenth, instruction 
S-C-N-N-E-E-E-E, 27th of January, 1902. It is impossible to approve in Catholic publications of a style inspired by unsound novelty, which seems to deride the piety of the faithful and dwells on the introduction of a new order of Christian life, on new directions of the Church, on new aspirations of the modern soul, on a new vocation of the clergy, on a new Christian civilization. Language of this kind is not to be tolerated, either in books or from chairs of learning. The councils must not neglect the books treating of the pious traditions of different places or of sacred relics. Let them not permit such questions to be discussed in periodicals destined to stimulate piety, neither with expressions savouring of mockery or contempt, nor by dogmatic pronouncements, especially when, as is often the case, what is stated as a certainty either does not pass the limits of probability or is merely based on prejudiced opinion. Concerning sacred relics, let this be the rule. When bishops, who alone are judges in such matters, know for certain that a relic is not genuine, let them remove it at once from the veneration of the faithful. If the authentications of a relic happen to have been lost through civil disturbances, or in any other way, let it not be exposed for public veneration until the bishop has verified it. The argument of prescription, or well-founded presumption, is to have weight only when devotion to a relic is commendable by reason of its antiquity, according to the sense of the decree issued in 1896 by the Congregation of Indulgences and Sacred Relics. Ancient relics are to retain the veneration they have always enjoyed, except when in individual instances there are clear arguments that they are false or suppositious. In passing judgment on pious traditions, be it always borne in mind that, in this matter, the Church uses the greatest prudence, and that she does not allow traditions of this kind to be narrated in books, except with the utmost caution, and with the insertion of the declaration imposed by Urban the Eighth, And even then she does not guarantee the truth of the fact narrated. She simply does not forbid belief in things for which human arguments are not wanting. On this matter, the Sacred Congregation of Rites, thirty years ago, decreed as follows. These apparitions and revelations have neither been approved nor condemned by the Holy See, which have simply allowed that they be believed on purely human faith, on the tradition which they relate, corroborated by testimonies and documents worthy of credence. Decree, March the 2nd, 1877. Anybody who follows this rule has no cause for fear. For the devotion, based on any apparition, in so far as it regards the fact itself, that is to say, in as far as it is relative, always implies the hypothesis of the truth of the fact, while in as far as it is absolute, it must always be based on the truth, seeing that its object is the persons of the saints who are honoured. The same is true of relics. Finally, we entrust to the councils of vigilance the duty of overlooking, assiduously and diligently, social institutions, as well as writings on social questions, so that they may harbour no trace of modernism, but obey the prescriptions of the Roman pontiffs. 7. Triennial Returns 
lest what we have laid down thus far should fall into oblivion we will and ordain that the bishops of all dioceses a year after the publication of these letters and every three years thenceforward furnish the holy see with a diligent and sworn report on all the prescriptions contained in them and on the doctrines that find currency among the clergy and especially in the seminaries and other catholic institutions and we impose the like obligation on the generals of religious orders with regard to those under them this venerable brethren is what we have thought it our duty to write to you for the salvation of all who believe the adversaries of the church will doubtless abuse what we have said to refurbish the old calumny by which we are traduced as the enemy of science and of the progress of humanity in order to oppose a new answer to such accusations which the history of the christian religion refutes by never failing arguments it is our intention to establish and develop by every means in our power a special institute in which through the cooperation of those catholics who are most eminent for their learning the progress of science and other realms of knowledge may be promoted under the guidance and teaching of catholic truth god grant that we may happily realize our design with the ready assistance of all those who bear a sincere love for the church of christ but of this we will speak on another occasion meanwhile venerable brethren fully confident in your zeal and work we beseech for you with our whole heart and soul the abundance of heavenly light so that in the midst of this great perturbation of men's minds from the insidious invasions of error on every side you may see clearly what you ought to do and may perform the task with all your strength and courage may jesus christ the author and finisher of our faith be with you by his power and may the immaculate virgin the destroyer of all heresies be with you by her prayers and aid and we as a pledge of our affection and of divine assistance in adversity grant most affectionately and with all our heart to you your clergy and people the apostolic benediction given at st peter's rome on the eighth day of september nineteen o seven the fifth year of our pontificate pius the tenth pope end of encyclical letter Pescendi Dominici Gregis, on the errors of the modernists, 1870-1900.